All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Newport Church. It's really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message someplace around the world online. It's great to have you with us as well. We are in the second to last week of a series called I Don't Get It. Because no matter if you grew up going to church your whole life or if you got confirmed or maybe even took some classes in seminary, my guess is there's still some parts of Christianity where you go, yeah, I, I don't get it. And if you're like me and you didn't grow up going, doing any of those things, it's probably the same. Next week is going to be the final week in this series, and our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, is going to be back after a summer writing break. He's been working on a book, and his message is going to be titled, I Don't Get It, How Does God Work in My Life? Such an intriguing topic, isn't it? I mean, there are times when I pray, and it's like God just answers that prayer, and then there's other times when you pray, and it feels like nobody's listening to you. And so people wonder, how does God work in a person's life? How does God change a person? How can you be set free from destructive habits? And let me tell you, when Bob's been off for a few weeks, he comes back loaded for bear. I mean, these are some of my favorite messages. In fact, I was just talking to a young guy last week, and he came up to me and said, man, I just love this church. I just absolutely love it. I said, well, how long have you been coming? He said, five weeks. And I did the math, and I thought, oh, you haven't seen anything yet. Bob is one of the absolute best communicators in the entire country you will not want to miss next week. This week, we're going to be covering the question, what happens when you die? It's a light topic, right? We'll give Bob how God works in your life. I'll take what happens after you die. That's kind of how, how that worked out. But here's the truth. We don't like to talk about death all that much, do we? We should, because the reality is that one day you and I are going to breathe our last breath and we're going to die. Now, I'll talk to people and they'll say, you know, I want to go to heaven someday, but just not today. I mean, there's so many things on earth that I want to enjoy first. I want to graduate college. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to take that vacation to Hawaii. I mean, yeah, I want to go to heaven someday, but, but not today. Our family was over at some friend's house for dinner a few weeks ago, and one of them had just bought a brand new Arctic cat side-by-side. It wasn't as big as this one or quite as nice as this one, I don't think, but I had never driven something like this before. And so I kind of sheepishly said, do you think maybe I could drive that? And I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but not only did they let me drive, but they let all the kids who were there that night jump in the back with me. And we weren't driving down the street. We were off-roading through some woods that ran around a swamp. And I could kind of see the kids getting a little bit nervous when I asked questions like, so how do you drive this thing? And, and which one's the brake again? Is this the brake or is this the brake? I can't really remember. But when they said it was time to go, I just floored it. And all the kids started to scream, which might have made the moms a little nervous who were standing around watching but they had nothing to worry about. I am a pro. We only hit one tree, okay? And we didn't even like hit it head on. We kind of scraped it on the side. And then we went off a jump and the ground kind of went down a little bit. And I I took the jump relatively fast. And after we got done, one of the fourth grade boys who was in the Arctic cat with me started to pray (laughs) out loud right there in the side by side. And His prayer was a little bit unorthodox. He said, Lord Jesus, I know it's Pastor Jason's job to get people to heaven. 
but not this way, Lord. I am not ready yet. Those were his exact words. Now, I think he was probably kidding. I hope he was kidding, but it kind of shows you how people feel. We want to go to heaven someday, but we're not ready yet. Add to that the uncertainty of what's going to happen after you die. I mean, there are some people who believe in reincarnation, and they will tell you that after you die, you're going to come back in another life as either a cow or a quarterback for the Cowboys. Just depends on how you live your life, which one of those two things you're going to get. Other people will tell you that after you die, that's it. Game over. No conscious awareness, no existence, no life after death. You are just worm food in the ground. There are other people who will say, you know, I believe in heaven, but I'm not sure I want to go there. They've grown up with so many St. Peter at the pearly gate jokes that when they picture heaven, they think they're going to be on a cloud playing a harp. Or they think of it as one long eternal church service. And so they go, you know, I I believe in heaven, but I'm not sure that I want to go there. Which leads to the question I want to ask today. What do you think happens after we die? And if I could be more specific and even a bit more personal, what do you think is going to happen to you after you die? It's a different question, isn't it? Matt Chandler is the lead pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. And in 2009, at the age of 35, he walked into his living room and he collapsed. It was later discovered that he had a cancerous tumor in his brain. Chandler writes about that experience in his book, The Explicit Gospel. He says this, he says, I was aware that I could die. And I was aware that people were going to get cancer. But I wasn't intimately aware that one of those people could be me. He says, I knew other people got cancer. I didn't think it was going to be me that got cancer. You know, it's amazing how interested you become in the question, what happens after you die, when you hear the doctor say words like stage three or stage four. Some of you know that all too well. And others of us are kind of afraid to find out. When I was growing up as a kid, I didn't really have a personal relationship with Christ, but I was extremely afraid to die. In fact, there were times when I would get this thought in my brain and I would think, Jason, one day you are just not going to exist. You're just going to be gone. All of your relationships, all of your thoughts, who you are as a person, it's just going to be gone. And when that thought would begin to take hold in my brain, I would start to have a little bit of a panic attack. I remember I would get up in the middle of the night and I couldn't breathe and I would have to kind of pace back and forth until it went away. And when I would talk to other people about this, they they seemed unconcerned. I remember people sometimes would say, well, you know, I'm not going to be here. What do I care? You know, I'm just, I'm just going to be dead. I won't even know the difference. So, I mean, big deal. And they would say it with this breezy air about them. And I remember thinking, really? Have you not thought about this? Like, you are just going to cease to exist. And your answer to that is, well, what do I care? I'm just gone. And then when I got to college, I began to study the evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Because I thought, man, if that was really true. And I read a book between a Christian and an atheist. It was a debate. It was called Jesus' Resurrection, Fact or Figment. 
And I read that and I was blown away by the historical evidence that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. And I came to believe it was a historical event in the same way that George Washington was our first president. That Jesus physically rose to dead at a point in history. And when that happened, I began to read the Bible. And remember one day I read Hebrews 2 verse 15 and I couldn't believe it. Here's what it says about Jesus. It says, for only as a human being could he die. In other words, God can't die. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh. He was 100% fully human. It says, for only as a human could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And then it says, only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. There are some times when you read the Bible and there are some times when the Bible speaks to you. And this was one of those verses that just spoke to me. I thought, Jason, your whole life, you have been a slave to the fear of dying. But Jesus Christ came and he broke the power of the devil. He broke the power of death. And he did it in the most ironic of ways. He died. He broke the power of death through dying. And that's good news for you and for me, because the truth is every single one of us is going to die. Death rate is still 100%. I don't care how much kale you eat. I don't care how much hot yoga and Pilates you do. I don't care how much kombucha you drink or probiotics you take. I don't care if you have apple cider vinegar every day and put coconut oil on everything. You can eat organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, no carbs, non-GMOs, grass-fed, locally raised, all natural superfoods. Go ahead. You can detox and sweat out every toxin known to man. Go ahead. Drink matcha tea, bone broth, coconut water, almond milk, eat chia seeds and chickpeas and sprouted foods. You do all of it, you're still going to die. took me two hours to memorize that. Just <laughs> hope that was worth my time and your time. Now, I do some of those things. My wife does most of them, okay? I've actually been sitting on that list for several years, just waiting to get it out for somebody. So it's good to exercise and to eat healthy. Those are good things. But don't exercise and eat healthy because you think it's going to cheat death. Because the death rate is still 100%. Which means the most important question you will ever ask is this. What do you think happens after we die? You know, if nothing happens, if you're just worm food in the ground, then you should spend your life focusing on pleasure. I mean, you should take your 70 or 80 years that you get on earth, and you should try to live as many moments as you can with some pleasurable sensation pulsating through your body. The Bible even acknowledges this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. He says, if there is no resurrection, let's feast and get drunk for tomorrow we die. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? If there's no resurrection. 
But if there is a resurrection, then that would be the most foolish way to live. Because look at what Paul says next. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's a lot different than let's feast and get drunk for tomorrow we die, isn't it? In fact, the word for judgment seat here, the Greek word, is the word bima. And in the first century, a bima was where the judge would sit and he would issue out awards after the Grecian Games, which is kind of like our Olympics. In other words, this judgment seat wasn't like a courtroom where you would declare a person's innocence or guilt. It was more like a podium where you would bestow a reward on someone. In the same way, when the Bible says that believers in Christ are going to be judged, this is what it means. I had someone email me this week and they said, well, are Christians going to be judged? And the answer is yes, but their judgment isn't over innocence or guilt. It's not over salvation or no salvation. That's been taken care of by Christ. Their judgment is based on rewards. And some people will have more rewards than others. But the Bible speaks of a second kind of judgment. And this is a judgment of innocence or guilt. This is a judgment of salvation or no salvation. It's known as the great white throne judgment. And before I read about this to you, I want to make an important qualification. This isn't my opinion. I didn't just make this up, and I certainly don't delight in telling people that God is going to judge their life. But I also don't want to bury my head in the sand and tell you, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as, as long as you're sincere. Because Jesus spoke about hell more than almost any other topic. Not to make people afraid, but to warn them out of love. And so with that in mind, let's look at what it says in Revelation chapter 20. And as I mentioned last week, the book of Revelation was written by a guy named John. And he saw Jesus in resurrected form. And then at the end of his life, God gave him a vision of what the end was going to be like. And he wrote down what he saw. Here's what he says. He says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. He goes on and he says, The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, some people will look at that phrase, lake of fire, and they'll say, well, that's got to be symbolic. And that very may well be. But if it's symbolic, what is it symbolizing? It's not symbolizing a vacation to Las Vegas. It's symbolizing something that's awful. So awful that there's no human words to even express it. Which leads to the question, why would God allow people to go to hell? Why would he allow people to be thrown into a lake of fire? And this becomes a very personal question if you have someone in your life who maybe has died and you wonder, I mean, where are they spending their eternity right now? Here are the two things that I hold my hat on. The first one is that God is fair, that God is just. I just believe that God's going to get it right. 
And when we get to heaven one day, if we're allowed to know the things that God knows and to see the things that God sees, we will look at God's decisions and we will go, Lord, you absolutely made the right decision. You are fair. You are just. I just rely on that and hold my hat on that. The second thing that I turn to is the fact that God is so full of grace and mercy, so full of mercy that he would send his only son to take on human flesh because only as a human could he die and pay for the penalty of our sins, that that's how much God loves people. In fact, in first Timothy chapter two, it says that God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is why our church exists. Our church doesn't exist to get big or to have a bigger budget or more social media followers. It's so much more important than that. Jesus says that you will spend your eternity in one of two places. It will be heaven or it will be hell. And if there's a hell, you don't want to go there. And if there's a heaven, you don't want to miss it. So in our time left, let me give you the three realities that the Bible says will happen if you've put your faith in Christ. These are the three realities of what will happen after you die if you've put your faith in Christ. The first one is this. You will receive a new body and it won't disappoint you. Don't raise any hands, but how many of us here would say that your body disappoints you? All of us, right? There's not one person who's like, yes, I'm completely satisfied with everything. I always wished I was 6'3 instead of six feet tall. And I was like, I don't need to be 6'8 or 6'9, but I would love to at least be 6'3. I'm kind of disappointed that I'm not. The other day, I slept funny on my back, and now I have like this pinched nerve that won't go away. And every time I go out to play catch with my kids, my shoulder is sore the next day. My body continues to disappoint me as I get older. Apparently, the only thing I can hang my hat on these days is that I'm extremely flexible. I was at our leadership team meeting a couple months ago, and one of the people said, how low can you go while keeping your, both of your heels on the ground? Some of you are like, this is what you do at leadership team? Lord, help our church, right? <laughs> this was before the meeting. But I said, well, I don't know. I, I think I can go pretty low. And so I started to go down like this, and I got down and kind of touched my butt to the ground, and then I came up again. And everybody on leadership team was blown away by this. It's like a hidden talent I never knew I had. <laughs> now, you might be like me, and you're like, that's not a big deal at all. Well, you should have seen the other people on leadership team. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. John Alexander is on leadership team, by the way, just so you know. But <laughs> they would get down like halfway like this, and then it was like, and like we'd have to help them up. We are a very inflexible leadership team. This is like, we should make a goal next year to improve in this area. But here's my point. Other than being flexible, my body continues to disappoint me as I get older, and it's probably the same for you as well. But look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. And I love this chapter, by the way, of the Bible, because it so speaks to what's going to happen after you die. It's a great chapter to read to fill your faith. He says this, our earthly bodies, which die and decay will be different when they're resurrected, for they will never die. He says, our bodies now disappoint us, but when they are raised, they will be full of glory. Can you imagine your body full of glory? 
no pain, no arthritis, no illness or disease, no going to the doctor for that little thing you're worried about or going to the hospital for that big thing that you're worried about, that your body will be full of glory. It says that when you die, you will receive a new body and that body will not disappoint you ever. Here's the second reality that will happen after you die if you put your faith in Christ. He says, you actually won't die. You'll be transformed. Look at what Paul writes next. 1 Corinthians 15 again. He says, but let me tell you this wonderful secret that God has revealed to us. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. He says it will happen in a moment in the blinking of an eye. And so here we are and we're going, oh, I'm so afraid to die. and What's going to happen? And God's going, well, you're not going to die. If you're a believer in Christ, you are going to be transformed and it's going to happen in the blinking of an eye. There's a book called Famous Last Quotes, and it looks at the last words of famous people right before they died. And one of the people in this book is a Civil War general named General Sedgwick. And his last words were, oh, they couldn't hit an elephant at that distance. That was it right there. Those were his last words. Now, if General Sedgwick was a believer in Christ, here's the truth. As quickly as that bullet passed through his body, he was transformed. Because look at what Paul says next. He says, when this happens, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, he says, then at last the scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. And this next part is about as close as God gets to talking trash. Okay, I love this. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? How many of us here know that death is the enemy? If you've lost your mom or your dad, then you know that very well. If you've lost your brother or your sister, then you know it seems like death has a victory and it certainly seems like death has a sting. If you've lost a son or a daughter or a loved one, then you know that death is the enemy. Pastor Levi Lusco has written a book called Through the Eyes of a Lion. It's a great book. Chapter on the Resurrection is worth the book alone. But he wrote the book out of personal tragedy. You see, several years ago, his four-year-old daughter, Lania, died of an asthma attack. And in the book, he describes what it was like to frantically give his little girl CPR, rush her to the hospital, only to have the doctors pronounce her dead on the scene. He says that his wife and his kids, when the doctor told them that Lania had passed, they held hands right there in the operating room and they began to pray. And they thanked God for the four years that they had with their girl. And they committed her spirit into God's hands. And then they had to leave. The nurse came in and was very polite and sympathetic, but she said, well, you know, you can call over to the nursing home and, or, or excuse me, over to the funeral home and, and they'll have the body ready for you and, and you can kind of make arrangements there. And they just had to get in the car and leave their little girl sitting on that table. Levi says when he got into his car, he adjusted his rearview mirror and he said there was a gap. 
where his daughter used to sit. Five months later, their family was watching some old home videos, and they came across one that they had never seen before. It was one that Lania and her sister had shot while they were playing Snow White. And at one point, Lania, who was Snow White, she kind of laid back like she was going to die, and then she popped up and she said, and she gets back up and she went to be with Jesus in heaven. And five days later, Lania would do just that. In his book, Levi writes these words. He says, people commonly say rest in peace or RIP as a final salvo over a grave. God has three different words for you to hold on to in faith as you approach the death of believers. Those three words are raised in power. Friends, that little girl, she did not die, but she was transformed. She does not rest in peace, but she was raised up in power. It happened in the blinking of an eye. And when you put your faith in Christ, you will not die, but you will be transformed. Here's the third reality that happens after death. It's this. You will go home. You'll go home. Second Corinthians chapter five is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I read it all the time because I want to be confident. I want to have a faith that is ready to die. And this chapter helps me get there. Here's how Paul begins. He says, when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down. He refers to our bodies as an earthly tent. Now, let me ask you, how many of us here like to camp? You, you just go ahead. You just love to camp. How many of you are like, I can't stand camping. Maybe you would like glamping. Okay. This is actually a thing. They've taken the words glamorous and camping and they've put them together. And this is a picture of someone glamping. This is not camping. Okay. Camping involves tarps and blow up mattresses and mosquitoes eating you up. Okay. This is not camping. You can call it glamping, schmamping, pramping. I don't care. It's not camping. My wife and I take our four kids camping for the last couple of summers. And last year I got a walk-in campsite which means that you park and then you have to walk like a half a mile into your campsite. It was very secluded. I loved it. Right up until it was time to go to sleep. You see, first of all, I'm a high-maintenance sleeper. I need a fan, a sound machine, and room-darkening shades, and they don't have those when you camp, so maybe I should go glamping, apparently. But then, at about 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm laying there wide awake, and I hear someone moving around our campsite. I thought maybe it was my wife, Sarah. I was in one tent with our boys and she was with our daughter in another tent. And then I heard our cooler open up and there was some crinkling of potato chip bags. And I thought, is Sarah eating potato chips at one o'clock in the morning? And then I heard a yelp, like an animal just got bit. And I knew it wasn't Sarah. A full on raccoon gang fight broke out right outside my tent. I mean, it was like, it must have been six to ten raccoons, and it was like Packers, Vikings, Republicans, Democrats, Bloods versus the Crips, okay? It was two minutes of biting and screaming and screeching and yelping, and then they were gone. And the whole rest of the night, I laid there like this. <laughs> and finally, at about five o'clock in the morning, I started to fall asleep, and just then, my kids all woke up. And they said, are we going hiking today? Are we going swimming today? I said, we're taking down the tent and we're going home so I can sleep. 
We want to go hiking. We want to go swimming. Get the tent down. Get in the car. You'll be lucky if we swing through McDonald's drive through for breakfast. I am going home. Now, here's the truth. I like to camp. But what's even better is when you get home. Paul says that this body that you're in, it's like a tent. You're camping. But one day that tent is going to come down. And when it does, you are going to go home. And what is home? Well, he says in the next verse, he says, we will find a home in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long for the day when we will put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. He says, for we will not be spirits without bodies. We won't just be spirits floating around. He says, but we will put on new heavenly bodies. And then I love this next verse. It's one that I repeat to myself all the time. He says, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. I'll tell myself that all the time. Jason, you're not home. You're not home. This body is a tent. You're just camping. And one day this tent is going to come down. And it might be at five o'clock in the morning. It might be at eight o'clock at night, but the tent is going to come down. And when it does, I am going to go home. To be away from the body is to be home with the Lord. When my son Jasper was two or three years old, I was trying to explain to him the concept of heaven. And I'm not sure this is a great idea for a two or three year old because, you know, well, how can they really understand that? But I said, you know, Jesus is in heaven and, and it's going to be great. And I'm just talking it up. And he's like, well, let's go. I said, well, you know, we can't just get in the car and drive there like the Mall of America or something. And he said, well, well what needs to happen for you to go to heaven? I said, well, you, you have to die to go to heaven. And here was his reaction. Take a look. So who do you want to talk to? I want to talk to Jesus. To Jesus? Mom, Jesus, help me. What do you want him to help you do? Mom, Jesus, help me. I die. And where do you want to go with him? Uncle, Jesus, help me. We can go with Jesus to heaven when he brings us there, when he comes and gets us, okay? okay. He was very disappointed that we weren't going that day, but <laughs> these days Jasper is five years old. And recently he asked my wife, he said, when I'm a grandpa, are grandma and grandpa going to be alive? And Sarah said, well, no, they won't. Does that make you sad? And he said, no, grandma and grandpa, they believe in Jesus. And so they're going to go to heaven. And, and that makes me really happy. And at one point, Jesus said that if you want to enter into his kingdom. That you have to have a childlike faith. And I think that's what he's talking about. A childlike faith that says, you know what? I, I just trust God. And I'm looking forward to the day when I will get to see him. And I know that to be away from my body is to be home with the Lord. In John 11, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. 
that if you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ today, if you will believe in him, then you will live even after dying. That you will not die, but you will be transformed. The Bible says that only as a human being could Jesus die. That he took on human flesh. And he did that, and then he died the most painful of deaths, even though he never deserved to. He had lived a sinless life. But he did that to pay the penalty that your sins, that my sins deserved so that we would not face judgment or punishment, but that we could have the promise of eternal life one day. And there are some of us here who you have lived your whole life as a slave to the fear of dying. And my hope for you today is that God would begin to set you free from that fear. And there are some of us who have never believed in Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that today to get yourself right with God so that you know that no matter when your tent comes down, you will go home and you will be with him. And so I want to pray for us at all of our campuses. And then when I'm done praying, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing a song called Death Was Arrested. And my prayer is that if you've been afraid to die for most of your life, that as we sing this song, that faith would come in you, that God's spirit would begin to work and you would realize that death has no victory, that death has no sting and that death has been arrested. Let's pray together. God, there are some of us here who have not believed in Jesus Christ. We have not had that moment in our life where we have put our faith and our trust in you. But God, right now, they want to live even though one day they will die. They want to experience that moment of transformation when they will stand before you and receive a new body and go home. And God, you say that it happens when we believe in Jesus Christ. And so right now, they're just going to pray this prayer with me in their mind. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you came to this earth as a human being, that you didn't deserve to die, but that you died in my place. And that on the cross, you paid the penalty for my sins. And then three days later, you rose again. And in doing so, God, you defeated death so that I could have eternal life. God, I pray right now that you would forgive my sin. I acknowledge that I've sinned against you, but I pray for the forgiveness of sins in my life. And from this day forward, God, I want to walk in a relationship with you. And God, there are others of us here today who our whole lives have been a slave to the fear of dying. God, would you set them free or begin to set them free as we sing this next song? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? as we declare the fact that death has no victory and that death has been arrested.